Hi, this is Andy Brewer, your host of the Healthcare Insights Podcast, produced by the Northwest Area Health Education Center at Wake Forest Baptist Health. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast so far. I'm excited to begin recording the podcast from a new location. Previous guests were recorded at the Bowman Gray Center for Medical Education, also known as the New Medical School, in downtown Winston-Salem's Innovation Quarter. It's a great setting, and you feel the energy of those learning and those dedicating their lives to the service of humanity through medicine. This and future episodes will be recorded in the Northwest AHEC Technology Outreach Center at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. In this setting, you really feel the energy of the healthcare world in action. It is the front line of healthcare where trauma and sickness present most acutely in our society. It's also where people, often at their worst, bring out the best in humanity. For 45 years, Northwest AHEC and the AHEC system have been delivering continuing professional development to our region and state to increase the quality and capacity of healthcare professionals for ultimately a healthier population. And for 45 years, we've been addressing the social determinants that drive healthcare outcomes in clinical settings. We're actively raising the visibility of these factors to emphasize the challenges everyone in our communities has and how to improve the healthcare outcomes for all. In past episodes, we have discussed some of these factors especially nutrition and education, which are personal interests of mine. In future episodes, I will attempt to include economic, interpersonal, housing, and other social determinants of health topics, and highlight successes, failures, and ways in which guests are working to improve the lives of even the most disenfranchised. Having guests come to the hospital setting inevitably invokes thoughts of their own experiences with healthcare outcomes, whether their own or that of family or friends. It seems everyone has a hospital horror story to share when prompted, but I find that the stories of greatness are often volunteered. The hospital is the true melting pot of a region. It has no rules for who can be treated. They treat everyone, no matter their circumstance. But we're all human and susceptible to our biases, both unconscious and conscious. Understanding social determinants of health help everyone consider experiences beyond our own, and when The when is right now, understanding more of the how, where, and why about our fellow humans. My guest on this episode is Claudette Weston. Claudette is a selfless human and has tirelessly served to promote the health of the most at risk in our region and to build social capital in the many community organizations that she volunteers with. On our way in, she shared that she had recently been at the medical center as a patient and began sharing her hospital stories of greatness. She's full of optimism full of energy, even with a portable oxygen tank, the result of being a smoker for many years, and also the sound you hear when she takes a breath in this episode. And she's full of love for her fellow humans. In our conversation leading in, we talked about the great divisions in our society that seems to be propagated through online and broadcast media, and how what we see in our efforts in the communities where we live, work, and serve doesn't seem to match up. In other words, reality is real, and the social media spew is mostly hyperbole. Claudette exemplifies the notion that our actions helping others, especially the most vulnerable among us, is the antidote to societal ills and injustice that have historically limited excellent outcomes for so many. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, this is Andy Brewer with Northwest AHEC Healthcare Insights, and we are on episode 10 of our podcast now, and I am honored to welcome Claudette Weston here today to be on the podcast. Welcome, Claudette. Thank you, Andy. Claudette is the, I would say, she's a, an event manager and probably a founder of Weston uh, and Associates, right. um, so you do meeting planners and stuff like that, so we have a lot of overlap with what we do it at AHEC, but you're also a leader in a number of organizations here in Winston-Salem and Forsyth County in our region, and so we're going to get into a lot of that. I just wanted to, to start with you talking a little bit about youth in transition over at the Cross North School. Um, it goes way back. Two of my, uh, or well, three of my favorite things to work toward is the riddance of drugs, education for young people, and hopefully one day not have foster care, uh, which I think the other things, the drugs and the education can help parents raise their own children. Cross Newark uh, is a new part of me. I started out with DSS, I'm on their board, and saw where young people 18 to 26 have nowhere to go. And as a result of that, we have drugs, we have um, breaking and entering, we have a lot of things because they don't have anywhere to be and they don't have anybody to take care of them and at 18 you don't 
receive money for an 18-year-old, so you you don't keep them unless now there are a few that do. And as a result of that, uh, Cross North yeah. they bonded with Children's Home, and mm-hmm. that's what they do best is help uh, all foster children. And they their big aim, which I love, is keeping a family together. If there are four foster children instead of being in four homes, they they try to keep them all together if they have to keep them there at Crossnore slash Children's Home, but they try to keep them together. We have been very successful at DSS with our youth that are um, in transition, and as a result of that, Crossnore has been extremely, in the mountains, they've been very, very uh, successful, and they brought their success here. One of the things that does relate very carefully to health is very few of these young people have ever had a physical. They had that one thing uh, that got them to go to school, that that one physical that can get you through school Mm -hmm. uh, every year, or play baseball, which very few of them do, or softball or whatever. But they never had a physical, and their fear of of dogs Mm -hmm. was unbelievable because... Doctors were who you saw in the emergency room when your brother was in that wreck or got in a fight. So you did, you never thought of this gentle giant in preventive medicine, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. And as part of our youth in transition, that's one of the things. Uh, they want a place to live, but they want people that they know to live around them. So we try to keep them together and yet give them privacy Mm because they're 18 Mm -hmm. or 21 or whatever. But I thought the interesting thing, now that they've had a physical, they're very comfortable with talking to their doctor. I'm sure he or she is worn out listening, but (laughs) I thought it was interesting that they, they're, their concept is ER. Well, that's true, I think, for a lot of society. Yeah. And we were talking about social determinants of health, which is just a, a, a really huge focus right. now. Even though at AHEC, we've been incorporating those types of themes in our programs for 45 years now. Um, Has it been that long? Yeah, wow. 45 years. Wow. You mentioned the education and, and homelessness. I mean, those are huge parts of what makes social determinants such a factor yeah. in healthcare, especially because it also said that, you know, the ED or the ER yeah. is the tip of the spear when these social determinants manifest themselves in a healthcare crisis. Right. And so people do wait until it is the wreck or something worse. Or an know, ear infection. Or, or yeah, yeah, something that's gotten way beyond what it sh- ever mm-hmm. should have been. So one of the things, it just struck me when you said 18-year-old, at some some reason we choose this arbitrary age of just, I guess we have to choose something. that says it's okay government. <laughs> it's called, okay, you're on your yeah. own now. So we, you know, up until 18, we tried to solve the homelessness. And then at 18, they're now legally an adult and say, hey, good luck, you're on your own. You remember when you were 18, Andy? <laughs> Can you imagine somebody saying, okay, baby, you go out and you get a job and find a place to live and, and make sure you get some education. Mm-hmm. I would have been lost at mm-hmm. 18. And they, are, they have to man up because if they're not in a group, they, they are literally got to find health care, a job. They need education. They have their GED because that's work, part of the program. But I can't imagine being thrown out at 18 yeah without the support network i mean i remember at 18 i couldn't wait to get out of the house on my own you know i mean but i had the the support network and the challenge network of my educated parents who who did all that and just i just can't imagine growing to that age without family a Mm -hmm. true family and and i know that the foster care system provides as close to that as we can. Um, it just seems, I don't know what the word is, but just to throw someone out of the system at 18 yeah. just kind of ensures their failure. So I appreciate what you've done with Youth, youth in Transitions to provide remedy for that gap. There are a few foster parents, God bless them, who keep these until they're finished college or, mm-hmm. or get a job or are on, realistically on their own. Uh, one used to work here at Baptist uh, Health. Kevin Bocchino, he has fostered many children mm-hmm. until they got through or could be adopted. So there are some wonderful sides to that, but probably I don't have a percentage in my mind. Most mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, don't. I mean, that, that model, we wish it would scale. Yeah. And we There's wish a money more. factor there. Yeah. At oh. 18, you get no more money. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, we do have a good amount of people in our country that probably have space and the funds to support those people. But, you know, we we, we put our money where our mouths are, I guess, and that doesn't scale as well as we'd like. So you you've got a you gotten a Winston Foundation Award for volunteerism recently, and and that what specifically did you feel when you got that? There are two awards that I have felt uh, humbled. Okay. Uh, the Duke Energy Award, which I had just been in the hospital and was told that I'd be wearing this little object mm-hmm. probably until the day I died. And at 82, I'm still wearing it, so I figured 75 to 82. But anyway, (laughs) uh, I thought, will I feel comfortable wearing this? And uh, they called to say I had won the Duke Energy Award, and that's equally – I never dreamed I would get either one of them. And Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be cute or humble Mm -hmm. or whatever, but it just – I thought of that for people who were magnificently involved. Um, and I was able to walk to the stage after two weeks with this mm-hmm. and receive the Duke Energy Award. And I cried uh, because it, it was humbling. Mm-hmm. That this is one person out of the entire community. I don't know what Duke Energy is, how far it reaching is. And one person with the Winston-Salem Foundation out of the entire community. And you know, mm-hmm. sitting where you are, how much people do. I think of the people who are in research and development and you know i think of all these people so i was humbled by it but i will say andy i have loved and enjoyed everything i have done uh joel died in 1984 and after that uh we started this company and uh i was allowed to go out and reach people in the community and i loved uh, still love i'm mm-hmm. still working on it uh everything i did but not for an award. Yeah. Just because I wanted to do it. Absolutely. And I think that social connection is what creates, well, social capital is, is a term we, we, we hear in the, especially the nonprofit right. world. Um, I can't believe we haven't met before. I was on I the board either. for Hands on Northwest, North Carolina, which is, a great which, is board. which is a great and a great organization. Sort of kind of a meta nonprofit to train nonprofit leaders how to be yep. more effective in all the things. I just met with Amy. Recently. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout out <laughs> to Amy Lytle. Yeah, Amy Lytle is phenomenal. But we just, and the reason I was talking to her, uh, we, we developed, uh, Joel's friends and family developed a Western Award for the best managed not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. And we started out by giving $500. I think the first person won got free service, and then the next one got five hundred dollars and and it grew a little bit and grew a little bit and this year we gave fifty thousand dollars wow and it was unbelievable and samaritan kitchen was the winner uh that is because they are managed like a like a company they're run like a a company and we had uh five or six who could have won which is terrific and amy helps those people you Mm -hmm. know by being on the board oh yeah yeah to become better not-for-profits. Well, that was the hardest thing when we get those uh, nomination forms and we all had to review them yeah. and give our votes and stuff. And just seeing the amount of effort and tireless volunteerism that occurs right. because of organizations, but also because of the people with time and effort and uh, and the energy to, to go out and want to help the community. I was going to circle back to the youth in transition. It will serve to strengthen the current programs of financial literacy and peer support. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah. What we've done, but I'm not as involved as I was, but I'm still involved, is try to promote mental health, financial security, and self-esteem. That self-esteem creeps in there because if your mental health is better, and your financial literacy is up to par, Mm -hmm. and you have a place to stay and a bathroom to take a shower, your self-esteem automatically goes up. Mm -hmm. I think one of my worries sometimes is the mental health. Between that and pills, and you see it so much when, if I didn't know where to turn today, I'd probably be one of those statistics you know mm-hmm. but i'm fortunate i got great family i got good friends you know like mm-hmm. michael he's yeah. my good friend 
they don't have a, a person to turn to. They don't have somebody to talk to. And we've created that little place for mm-hmm. them to feel like they can talk to Andy. Or they can tell you, you know, I thought about killing myself yeah. or I thought about taking more pills or whatever. As I was riding over here today, I was thinking, what? I was not thinking about this because I didn't know what I was going to say or what I was going to do. But I was thinking about, what if what if we could take all those, uh, all the people in the country and go through their cabinets and get rid of all the pills and only, only have pills that you could take when you're really hurting, mm-hmm. like you've got back surgery or blood. What if? Yeah. You know, and what if children didn't see you pop a pill to feel better? And what if you were never beaten again? You know, mm-hmm. the mental health of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as a, a guy named uh, Tom who works with uh, ARC, and Tom and I have talked so many times. Mental health education and financial literacy, is it's all wrapped up in one. If you, mm-hmm. you get one going and the other one come falls in place that yeah. third one just blooms you yeah know? well i would add in addition to pills i would add you know processed food get the junk out of the refrigerator and the cabinets but i mean you you the way when you talked i just thought about that maslow's hierarchy of needs and when you don't have that foundational yeah. foundation layer nothing else is easy and no. nothing else is really possible no. and mental health is a big part of having food and shelter and and just your dignity yes. because you're you, you're not food insecure and you have a place to bathe and you have some clean clothes to put on i mean we forget those basics we do forget the basics and we also forget they always say Oh, they chose uh, paying a bill over over uh, taking their medicine. Taking the medicine. Well, they also choose food over taking popping a pill mm-hmm. or shooting up. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what do you do? You want food or do you want to go high? You yeah. Know, what do you want to do? Yeah. And and they'll tell you that. Uh, I sat on the North Carolina Drug Council for several years, and uh, it changed names a hundred times. So I can't remember the original name when I was on it, but. I learned so much about what we will do for drug, and I, I say we because I smoked cigarette. I earned this. Yeah, I got you. Uh, and and uh, tobacco's a, a drug, as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. I was addicted to it. Mm-hmm. So what we, you know, what we will do, get up in the middle of the night to go buy a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I didn't steal to buy cigarettes because I could afford them. But there is a part in there where. You know, I want drugs, so I won't eat, so mm-hmm. I can get my next uh, yeah. drug of choice. And somehow, I think sometimes our desert of hunger. Here we go. Yeah, mental health, food. food. You know, it's all yeah. it all ties back every time. Went to a meeting the other day of. Uh, I really, honestly, do believe if we can go one a zero to five and get children in education and mm-hmm. and then when they empty out into uh, first and second grade they're they're on equal basis mm-hmm. they will have learned their abcs they can write their name they know their colors whatever yeah and uh, a young boy that I, I don't think this will ever leave my mind we were doing it at one of the rec center and uh, a young man uh, I don't know if you know John Bomey, but yeah, John, oh yeah. Well, John, I worked with John and Pete Satego. I never can say Pete's last name. Satego. <laughs> He's San, San Diego to come up with WinstonNet, which mm-hmm. puts uh, computers in all the rec centers and a lot of churches and mm-hmm. whatever. And this kid was walking out with his sister. And he's probably 14. And he looked at me and said, you know, Ms. Weston, I feel like I belong now. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, I can go online. I don't have to go on a bus to the library anymore. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, you mm-hmm. know, this is what we've all been working for. And he said it in four yeah. sentences, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think all those things come back to uh, the things that, Bomi and that crew did to develop WinstonNet, mm-hmm. given connectivity that we forget about, yeah. there's another thing. And they've taken a, another step. Uh, WinstonNet uh, are putting them in homes now. Mm-hmm. And everybody from the baby to the grandmother has to take courses and whatever. They're able to look online to find nutrition mm-hmm. that 
we know our church uh, for years we taught nutrition and mm-hmm. uh, uh, poverty lands as we used to like to call it uh, how much is in beans and yeah. what can you do this all these things they're learning so education is a huge part of it mm-hmm. of mental health mm-hmm. mental health is a huge part of education mm-hmm. no I, I i agree with all that i think that those concepts even financial literacy oh. Um, is is huge in nutritional literacy. I mean, food is medicine, right. and to introduce that at a much younger age. I mean, you can only you know kids only have so much power or right. very little, I should say, when they get home of what they can choose to put in their mouths because they don't really have choices. But what we're doing through the Brenner Fit and culinary medicine programs through Northwest AHEC um, are providing providers with training on simple. Healthy food preparation and planning and and all this to create that to bring it back to the kitchen um, for families to eat together and right. cook together and to take the time to use that to network with each other and try to form those bonds and you know a lot of those kids that we're talking about the really at risk kids that don't have the families um, that are you know you're trying to find that support network a lot of them fall into addiction because and as they say the opposite of addiction is social connection social, right and so we need and when i look at maslow's and the social determinants factors and the factors that are most effective one the number one is health literacy yeah Number one, health literacy. I believe that. And I think the second one is food insecurity yeah. or something. So those top two things is getting people to understand what how important their health is. And without the foundation of the basic needs, it's, right. it's impossible to When to you have, have an 18-year-old that's never had a physical, that didn't mean you had one. That meant you had 2,000. Yeah. You know, you <clears throat> who could be brewing something that could have been help. Maybe you still can mm-hmm. but they've been brewing something that could have been taken care of mm-hmm. way back but oh yeah they don't know yeah they just don't have that literacy to to go yeah Mm-mm. and and, and it, you know it's got to be scary yeah. to you know like you said they know the er from a traumatic experience mm-hmm. so walking over here i was sharing my experience here and having worked in a medical center at a, a teaching hospital um, for 12 years now and just walking through and seeing the amazing bounty of diversity and hearing four or five different languages spoken as I walk the halls and, and, and seeing people in some of their worst time of need. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot for a lot of people, they are here at this hospital because of bad things, yeah, yeah. something bad. And yet there is a spirit that just kind of creeps into people at their worst sometimes the best comes out and i've seen that over and over so we were talking also about all the outrage and stuff online that people are calling out this and calling out that and i i I would like for people to go out into their worlds and just look for the good because you'll see it everywhere and i see it and i i actually you know when when i look at twitter i'll say wow the world's going to hell in a handbasket and then i walk around the halls of this place and see people at all levels of socioeconomic position and i see people in all areas of trauma and and just real struggle and yet there's good in everyone and i think that um to provide those basics is where we really need to start and, and where we can solve the problem. It doesn't have, I don't think it has to do with any immutable factors. It's just where you are socioeconomically and the start you get. And for a or lot where of. Where do you want to be? And where do you want to be? Yeah. And, and to have someone challenge you with those questions at an early age. And if life is a business too, same yeah. as nonprofits. I yeah. mean, you award the nonprofit that runs the most efficiently because at the end of the day, That's it the still has to operate. Mm-hmm. And and as humans, we have to operate efficiently and smartly. It includes our mental and physical health first and foremost. Because without those two, there's nothing really we have to stand upon. You're right. I I had an interesting. My mom died of. I always have to ask somebody, what year did Mama die? <laughs> she was the healthiest 
person at 94, and she got sick on a Saturday afternoon and died on Wednesday morning, I think Mm -hmm. it was. But in sitting in a waiting room here, and I say here because I am a true come-to-Baptist girl, (laughs) Uh uh, and I was sitting in a waiting room here with an Indian person, Indian... Is it Native American? Native American, who told us that. Mm -hmm. An India... India. East Indian, yeah. Uh, our group, who could be anything, mm-hmm. our, the Westons, yeah. we could be anything. Yeah. We just hadn't taken of European that European descent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two African Americans, one Puerto Rican, whatever. Some spoke English, some didn't speak English, but we were all there because some member of our family was dying. Mm-hmm. And we all knew that. And I thought it was really interesting because each time I ran into another person in the hospital, how's your mom? In a broken English, you know, it's sort of like Earl Monroe brought everybody together with a big round orange ball. Uh, They sat in the Coliseum white and black and it had no idea you were white or you were black because you were watching Earl Monroe, you know, and the 67 team. It was the same thing in the hospital. You became on a level playing field. How's your mama? Right. Or how's your brother? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think people don't see that. But I honestly think, and this is terrible to say out loud on a podcast, but it's true. <laughs> I think a lot of people look for the bad. Mm-hmm. And they once they get it in their hand, they just squeeze it and squeeze mm-hmm. it. You know, instead of looking to the right, I sat at the Western Award this year. I have never seen so much good in one county. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're all human, and I think those times when there's something more meaningful happening, where we don't get the privilege of picking out the things that bug us, that are not... Right. We realize the humanity right. in, in these circumstances. And that, that's what I love about your involvement in the community because, you know, you're unselfish with your time and your energy um, to go out there and help organizations grow and expand capacity yeah. to serve the community. Because I think we all want the same thing. We all I want a better world. And it's the way we go about it. Right. And we have to be realistic about these things we we say social determinants of health and a lot of people immediately go to racism and stuff and uh you know i i take it back to it you know the poverty thing is what really sucks it's really the worst part of it all because if you're you know yourself if you get hungry or you don't have a cup of coffee you get really grumpy you (laughs) know especially the coffee yeah you're just grumpy (laughs) and so imagine starving Mm-hmm. And how how miserable you are when you're so hungry. I asked a guy that runs one of the local markets. I said, "What do you do when people steal your fruit?" Because mm-hmm. he has it in wide view. He said, "I don't care. Mm-hmm. They're hungry." Yeah. He said, "Nobody's ever stolen that they wasn't hungry." So yeah. I don't really care. And I think some, not to say that's correct, because mm-hmm. we need to learn oh, to sure. be right and wrong. But I think sometimes we have to turn our head and say. Let him eat my food, mm-hmm. you know, or here's a sandwich for you. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I, I think we miss a lot by not fulfilling our feeding times. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, God, the food bank does a great job. The churches do a great job, mm-hmm. whatever. But there's even more to do. Well, there's a lot that's happened in our culture of this glorification of a lot of things, uh, materialism, yep. um, being busy trying to do more than we can and not setting boundaries for our time. And I think that even manifests itself to all socioeconomic levels where you have affluent people who are trying to do everything and therefore their meals come through a window in a drive-thru. And then you suffer the health consequences for long-term. You know, it's just not a sustainable way to live. And then in the poor communities, you have limited access to whole foods, maybe a forgotten art of home-cooked meals. I mean, you know, that... Even I've forgotten that one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it it, it always comes back to food and nutrition for me. And I think one of the ways I think that we can address the social determinants of health 
is the food literacy, the nutrition literacy, and that ties into financial literacy because you got to know how to eat healthy and cheaply uh-huh. and know how to spend your time right. to do it. And I get it. I mean, we're busy parents. We have kids. I have four kids, so I know what I it's like. Yeah. It's like I know what it's like to shuttle kids to here and there and try to get them to all their activities and by and the feed time them. And feed them. I threatened to put a trough out on our porch <laughs> and just throw stuff in there. You know, mm. fresh vegetables, just eat them. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I can't get up. But well, it's hard. It is hard. And growing up, you know, I, I, I grew up with a family that had four kids and, and they, or a neighbor that had, my best friend was in that family. And his mother, every time you walked through their house, she was in the kitchen preparing Cooking. something. Yeah. You know, there'd be sandwiches out or yeah. celery sticks and carrots or apple yeah. slices and peanut butter. And she just always, and now I get it. It was yeah. like, if if you have the time and you have a lot of hunger, you're always preparing for that next yeah. meal. And and she was smart because she was preparing a little bit nicer, uh, not nicer, more nutritional yes, things too. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and, and now we grab a bag of Fritos. Yeah, and and we had those things, but it was it was definitely she was a stay at home mother, yeah. and a lot of families don't have two parents, Mm-mm. so you don't have that luxury, and so the kids are left a lot of times on their own. And if they have a dollar, they're going to go buy the cheapest calories they can because it tastes good. Well, I put a a pencil on because I was challenged on uh, the drive-thru. I love all the bad food. I love it. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying. Mm -hmm. It's more expensive. A family of four to drive through any number of places Mm -hmm. and get three items or four items mm-hmm. unless they're on special right then it is to go home and cook something that's really good mm-hmm. i mean it's like three times the price yeah for a family and, of four and people justify it because it's a time investment. it is yeah. it's that trade-off and, and brenner fit does a good job with their culinary stuff and they have the teaching kitchen right. at the y and they have some mobile kitchens that i think are gonna keep growing and it's hard to scale that but they're trying their best to scale to go out to the community <clears throat> and do these demos and, and knife skills and yeah. stuff like that um but uh, I think they, you know, they they don't claim to have the magic bullet. But what they do do is is try to triangulate uh, time, investment, costs, and nutrition. Yeah. And those three aren't easy to do. No. But and, and there are trade offs involved. I mean, frozen vegetables over fresh and stuff like that. But um, I I do think we need to get back into the ethos of looking at food being hyper local being something that you do need to spend your time and i mean i've heard the story of when more my kids went into more uh magnet over here and they did a garden for the first time a few years ago and there were kids that literally did not know where tomatoes came from they'd never seen one growing on a vine and that's god forbid a squash right (laughs) and then then there's these you know there's story of um the co-op giving uh, families in need uh-huh. vegetables from the co-op and and one of them pulled out a potato and it had soil on it and they're like what is this you're trying to give me and it's like it's a potato right Watch from the it. ground yeah. never seen a potato that in that raw form so it's, well, it's i grew up in the country and I, my children kid me because i laugh every time i hear farm to table mm-hmm. that's the way we that's, ate yeah. if you didn't have a garden you didn't eat so oh, you know yeah. i knew farm to table mm-hmm. but i think that is something that i see on on hawthorne those little gardens mm-hmm. uh cross has tremendous yes, gardens yes. tremendous been up there picking strawberries and they're too. so good everything's <laughs> good uh, and they they uh send a lot to people in need but they also furnish a lot of restaurants in town Mm -hmm. uh i think there's 12 or 15 of them that's great yeah but i think it's a long path andy and i'm a firm believer in prayer Mm -hmm. and and getting your hands dirty i think we can do it Mm-hmm. We won't catch every single person that needs us. Mm-hmm. Catch is not a good word. We won't touch. Yeah. But I think of all the people who are out there touching lives, giving them hope, and somewhat healing them mm-hmm. through body and soul and mind mm-hmm. and uh, tummy and whatever. I, I see a uh, a bright light. 
I won't live to see it, mm. unless I can be 101 like my friend I just mm. saw. Um, but I, I see a brighter light because of people like you, <coughs> people like AHEC who are touching rural counties. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, so when I go out to tell the AHEC story, which I'm an ambassador without pay. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Uh, no, but I think the, the people you're touching would have never been touched. Mm-hmm. And every year you touch more mm-hmm. and you, you do more mm-hmm. uh, for these kinds of folks that are, they're doing fine, but they're off in rural America and they can't get to Baptist Hospital like mm-hmm. I can get here in two minutes. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there, there's a big, but I see this light and, and I am accused of being living with rose colored glasses. Well, it's a good way to live. I do see them, <laughs> right? Uh, but I'm convinced that we're on the right track i think mm-hmm. the hospitals are on the right track i think mm-hmm. we're we're learning more and more like my experience yesterday at outpatient imaging uh at the cancer here nobody wants cancer right because mm-hmm. we say she has cancer mm-hmm. we don't say it out loud but if you walk in upstairs i can take you over the cancers thing and we walk in we will be greeted as if we had just come to see family feud mm. <laughs> you know it's a, and it's a good feeling because you're not going in there feeling like oh god yeah. i can't wait to see my cancer doctor and see if mm. she tells me i'm all right so i see all of these faces changing and ideas changing and mm. well it's a it's a center of optimism instead of a center of dread exactly. i mean because cancer well number one it's not the death sentence it no, used to be no like a lot of afflictions yeah. and it is life is celebrated yes. and that's what i think uh we need more of in especially with this hyper connected world where you know social media is such an oxymoron but people go there and they find their tribe online and they find their enemies online but they don't they try to translate that into the real world and it doesn't yeah. translate and and they go out to the real world looking for that same fight right. and it's not as acute or as as high resolution as it seems to yeah. be online right. so you're actually making people antisocial. Yeah. but what gives me hope is is you know your example of all the things you've done in the community and all the all the places you help with your time and energy and, and resources and you know i'm an optimist too i mean i i see th- there's a website called humanprogress.org and and you know it just shows statistics of globally um, how well we are doing and we've we've gotten some things right in civilization as much as people want to cry out that that consumerism well consumerism kind of is a pejorative but yeah. um that that capitalism is destroying the planet and doing this but it's also connected more people to the oh, electrical yeah. grid than ever before i think 150,000 people a day are newly connected to the electrical grid and just think about how that leapfrogs their capabilities in life when you have you press a button and you can cook or you can read or you know whatever it is so you know we are getting the you know the the rising tide lifts all boats that are seaworthy of course and there's those who aren't and those and we have to deal with that but i think I'm a, I've always been an optimist, and, and it's it's good to have that outlook. And we need those rose-colored glasses. We don't need to ignore the problems. No. We just need to look at— No, I can't th- ignore it because they're right in front of my face right. every day. But I, I, every time a child said, I feel like I belong now, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's another a win. step. You know, that's another good step that I can say to Pete and John, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just great. Yeah, that's a good feeling, too, to, to help. I mean, I, I feel driven— I feel like I, when I'm sitting down and I'm just having a end of the day beverage or something, or, you know, going online looking at maybe scanning Facebook. I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I? What could I else could I do with I this still time? Do that. Yeah. <laughs> what What could I do with this time that would actually help the community instead of ranting on someone's political what, post on what Facebook? What you can do <laughs> is go online on Facebook, and every time somebody prints what they ate for dinner or lunch <laughs> you can you can give a nutritional value <laughs> that's right and send it right back to them that i laughed last night i just finally cut it off because it was what everybody had eaten yesterday mm-hmm. and i realized i hadn't had dinner so <laughs> i just cut it off and went in to figure, figure something out yeah. to eat for dinner yeah. no there's a uh, a fellow in this community named richard gottlieb and he ran senior services for probably 
20 some years, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But he came into senior services as a young fella, and he never lost sight of what can be. Mm -hmm. And he just retired as a young man still, and he's been very involved with the Weston Award. But the thing Richard did was you need a strong board for seniors because seniors are often forgotten, and I'm finding that out more than Mm -hmm. ever. You need to encourage food, which is Meals on Wheels, but you need volunteers so they can drive the car and somebody can run them in. And all of these were his great uh, epiphanies, but each one he saw a light uh, that would help at the end of the tunnel. And so I kind of... He's young, much younger than I. Mm-hmm. But I kind of picked a little piece out of his book and said, mm-hmm. "Oh well, I'm not really totally crazy. I'm mm-hmm. I'm on the right track." If Richard is now, mm-hmm. hopefully God's got him on the right track. <laughs> but I think there are a lot of Richards and Andys and mm-hmm. Claudettes uh, that we don't know about. Amy Lytle, she's mm-hmm. done great things to for hope and healing, and I mean that's her job. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but. Uh, to incorporate the board with the right kinds of people. And mm-hmm. The Western Award has got a strong board of right kinds of people. The uh, ex-county uh, manager's on there. He chairs mm-hmm. it. And there's just a lot of, of, of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Churches are doing good things. Yeah. Churches, all I hear about churches is they're going to close the door because they don't have any young people. Well, our church improved by 58% and the mm-hmm. age, the oldest person to join was a total of 39 or 40 mm-hmm. that's young to me yeah well uh, I, I think we're seeing uh, uh, things come full circle because I, I think with the i mentioned earlier the materialism and the glorification of busy and and the turn away from human connection and spirituality i think we're seeing a, a correction because mm-hmm. i think for the past 10 20 years that consumerism has created this nihilism in young people. Mm-hmm. And I think that those people are, as they mature, and, and either they get angry and you know start just calling out all the injustice they see in the world, or they get inspired and connect with other humans. i got to find what it's connected to. For a greater yeah. cause. And, and I was at the Jiminy Cricket, you know, wish upon a star. Yeah. I mean, just pick something that's greater than you to 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 put your energies towards and i think we're seeing a circle back to that i'm seeing it with my grandchildren Mm -hmm. and and i have never pushed religion Mm -hmm. on anybody if anybody asks me what makes me happy i can tell Mm -hmm. them but uh, i'm seeing my grandchildren not that they're jumping up to go to church Mm -hmm. but that they are very very tuned in to the people around them Mm -hmm. and love and they're reaching out and they're joining groups to help people and my granddaughter at one point designed uh she got a thing that you get newspapers in out in front of the what those they pull down and get a newspaper she she painted it up and put books in it put Mm -hmm. out it somewhere and little by little there were books growing all around some church just put one of those up and put food in it yeah if you're hungry you could yeah there's several around here now they're 10 or 12 so yeah. you know we we mock what we see mm-hmm. because a lot of times you can't i don't have that idea somebody mm-hmm. had it and i think geez that's yeah. exactly what i wanted to do you know? well i think good propagates more than bad I think it does and too. i you know i don't see the world as good versus evil i see the world as people who see and seen when shown versus those who will never see exactly you know and and i stole that quote from a friend of mine but um that's a great one though you know i mean it is it is true i mean there are some people who are so ideologically encamped in their worldview that they'll never pull out of it and i see i've seen that over the generations i mean i'm 52 I, you know, the younger generations, my kids even, we've never been hyper-religious or anything, but my, I've seen my kids incorporate more of a spiritual thread in yeah. their lives, and that's not from my influence. Yeah. It's just they happen to see that, wow, there's more than just these ants crawling the surface of the earth. 
there's something greater yeah. that we need to grasp on. And the yeah. earlier we do, the more we're going to do in this world. I think education does that. Mm-hmm. I think all of a sudden, I'm, my granddaughter took a religion course and said, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> whoa. <laughs> uh, and I think sometimes you're with other people. Uh, uh, another granddaughter, uh, who's a rising junior, I think, she said that, she said, Granny, I thought I was with you the other night because my roommate said, do y'all mind praying with me up for my aunt who's who's dying and i thought mm. mm-hmm. you know and she said and i bowed my head and tried my best to do the right thing but i think that's happening there it's creeping into all of a sudden you sit down and say god andy uh we i've done really well and i have four healthy good mm-hmm. children and i got a decent job and you know that kind of thing and and you think to yourself, I should be thankful to somebody. Okay. Is it the refrigerator? Yeah. Is it <laughs> well, I the think, beach, or is it God? Or well, I think a, people are so quick to no, people who don't think religion has a part to play scoff at that yeah. notion. And I've I've come a long way in my viewpoints to this. In that, what if all the religions are right? Yeah, you know, just they just are. assume they are. <laughs> they are right. There's yeah. no reason. There's no. There's no upside in saying they're not. They are. You know, and there's only upside to them if you say they all have something to teach us. And that's, I've got a new appreciation for the stories, just the biblical stories, and that, you know, they're not just, let's say, they're not exclusive to the Christian Bible. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. They are archetypical stories that define us as human in yeah. our civilization. And so they, they try go to all religions. Right. And, and most of the Disney movies yeah. are play on those same things. Exactly. And we, you know, they, they, the kids hopefully see those the, those archetypes and and understand what they are. You know the 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 sense that there is something greater that that drives you to do more than just for yourself. Exactly, and to make itself. So I I, I see that coming back we had around. A, a great rabbi lived on our street here in Winston years and years ago, and I used to walk, <clears throat> as did he, and uh, I said, you know, I've been reading the Old Testament, and it's, it's very hard for me, Rabbi. And he said, well, just think like this. You think he's coming again, and I think he was one hell of a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I thought, there you go. Both perspectives I don't have to work. worry about it. That's right, you know? both perspectives But I work. think that kind of thing we all get easier to do. And, and the conflict in our governments uh, of has not helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's well, that's the, been a deterrent. But I think we can get over that, too, uh, by turning off all televisions. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there's an agenda there. And we, we, we do this experiment here with these t- these TVs, and we'll, we'll put one on Fox and one on MSNBC. Oh, oh. And it's Dimension A and Dimension B. Yeah. And that it doesn't help humanity to come together and figure out what our Makes difference it, is it it they have an agenda yeah. to sell more pills yeah. basically and, yeah. and people who take that as gospel need to get outside and get their hands in the garden and yeah. you know go volunteer yes. at, 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 at the community nonprofit. Sit down the piano and sing a song right <laughs> let's help make the world a better place yeah. don't don't uh, echo what someone told you to, no. to think on on the on the idiot box you got it i agree <laughs> I just said if we turned all of those off, mm-hmm. then we're turning off a really good Broadway show mm-hmm. for our people in government. Yeah, and then then you don't watch it, you don't talk about oh, it. It's, it's gone. It's the twenty four seven reality show, and the reality shows are scripted. Yeah, it's it's, it's all made up. It's all pageantry, yeah. and for some reason, we have this need to want to follow yeah, that yeah. and that's what i think is poisoning our discourse and and when people can't sit down and have a discussion if everything's a debate where the outcome is a winner and a loser you, we're all going to lose you lost we all lose so you know back to community organizing and community involvement i mean I'm sure you've had conflicts on boards you've sat on oh, and, and yes. conflicts of ideas of what happens in the community. But at the end of the day, it's a forum to share ideas and learn from each other yeah. and come to some compromise. And that's what we need to do more of. The biggest thing I had to do is learn that I was on an advisory board. 
I was not running <laughs> the company. <laughs> I was just to advise. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that. It helped me a lot. But I will tell you one thing. You're talking about sitting down and eating and lack of. For my 80th birthday, <clears throat> all 17 of us, or is it 16? I can't remember. <laughs> um, went to the Currituck Sound to an old hunting lodge that my husband and I used to go to years ago. And it's beautiful. It's in the middle of an island. Nobody can get there except by boat. Uh, well, you can come and walk over. Mm-hmm. And my grandchildren, when asked, and I have eight, what was your favorite time down there? Now, they jumped out of, uh, not jumped out of planes. They did the other thing, not skydiving, but the other thing with the plane. Uh, okay. Um, I can't think of it. But gliding anyway. or yes, something? Yes, hang gliding. Hang gliding, okay. They did that. They did a lot of fun things. They said having meals all together, because we had a, a table that would seat all of us, mm-hmm. and because it's a hunt club, mm-hmm. um, they said that over and over eight times. Mm-hmm. It was our favorite time. Sometimes our meals lasted two and a half hours, mm-hmm. but it was because we were so engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody bring up a topic and there was no argumentative topic mm-hmm. it was just sharing mm-hmm. and i think well that, that that's a big deal that that value of breaking bread with your neighbor with your enemy yeah. even to yeah. sit down is is you know everyone eats i i try to tell i have a daughter who just graduated reynolds this year and she she was in culinary arts you know in the at the career center for vocational training and um you know, I try. I'm trying to instill that that is where everyone meets yeah. is food, yeah. culinary, and I think that's why Anthony Bourdain was so so popular with everyone and all political spectrums because he brought yep. people together. He showed, you know, he looked for the good yeah. in people around the table, yeah. and that's where conversations happen. That's where connections are made. Because no one wants to talk when they're hungry. Or no, no. You, you do like my uncle do. You put your head down and eat, and then you talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But so, I think I, I think that uh, food is a big. Mm-hmm. You know, the spectrum of food. You're hungry. You need to eat. Mm-hmm. You need to have nutrition. You need mm-hmm. to blah blah blah. I had a doctor tell me I've been trying. I can't say I've been trying. I think <laughs> I've been trying to lose weight. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he said to me, he's a good friend. Have you tried to duct tape? <laughs> and I think about, I should do that sometimes when I'm talking too much, but I should definitely do it when the Frito bag is on the table, just tape it over and not let it go. But I think engagement around food, mm-hmm. but food for those who are hungry, mm-hmm. has a lot in common. Yeah. Because those who are engaged, my grandchildren, are hungry for knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want to know. Granny, what did you do when you were in fourth grade? Mm -hmm. Which I think is fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's the key for the next generation, too, is to learn from our not only successes but our mistakes our failures to say you know we back in the 80s we said low fat was good and it turned out not so much fat's not bad if Uh in moderation um sugar's bad Uh and for some reason we we overlooked that but also like emission standards for vehicles or plastics becoming an everyday one-use single-use throwaway disposable dare buy a bottle and everybody in the grocery store is looking at you you know well and the notion of like planned obsolescence where you got to buy a new car every four years because the body style changes and stuff like that i mean we don't buy things with a long-term scope and i think i think just because just just from that we don't have a worldview that's beyond the next day or the next 24-7 media cycle. One of the groups I was involved with years ago, an educational group um, that did K-12 science Uh um, software, you know, we'd sit at a meeting and and, um, we had a line item that says the 500-year plan. And I mean, I was like, what? (laughs) No one's going to remember me in 500 years. But it was just a nice thought exercise to say... Look beyond your life. Right. What is it you're doing today or what is it you want to do in the next five years that might even be 
a footnote 500 years from yeah. now, you know, and that's an interesting way of looking at things to say, you know, what is, not that we need a legacy, but what can we do to leave it better than we found it? And that's what I try to teach my kids when they go to someone's house exactly. or use the toilet yeah. or whatever. Make you know? the bed up. <laughs> yeah, make it better than you, at least as good, yeah. if not better yeah. than you found it. So, I mean, that's that could be something that that we inject into the conversation anyway of just saying hey you know what do you what what do you want to leave behind in 500 years from now and then people go wow what interesting note a hundred years ago not really because i'm only 82 but i was in a session where nurses were talking about what is now a nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. there were there were some but not here and they were discussing now that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, it's been going on for 200 years. It hasn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the first nurse practitioner came on the scene, but they were talking about this some 35, 40 years ago of building programs that lent itself to nurse practitioners. There is definitely a push now. We call them healthcare navigators. Right. I think. I, that's and another one. We have an organization here called Faith Health, and yeah. they basically hire. I mean, it started out when there was a reduction in force here of the sanitation engineers, yes. the PC way of putting it, but right. basically the janitorial yeah. staff and the housekeeping and stuff, and, and they were outsourcing all that. So that left a lot of lower end financially right. on this financial spectrum um, vulnerable. So they said, well, you know, let's hire them. Let's train them in some basic health care needs type things, social determinants, and let's send them out into the community, and maybe what will happen is ED visits will decrease or repeat ED visits because people who just need some basic things in order to not be a burden on the healthcare system, it's it's in our interest to make sure those are met. And one of the ways to do that is is this notion of navigators. And I've talked about expanding that and, and, but that goes back to health literacy. We have to get a population that is literate when it comes to healthcare. And so they know the early signs of X, Y, or Z, or they know that, Hey, once a year you just go and get a checkup. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, even if it's 60 bucks out of pocket, you know, you you know, there's probably places that can help do that, help you get to that. And there's free clinics all the time. And, but, but that number one thing is health literacy and that touches all the things we've already talked about, the nutrition and, and just social connection and all those things. I think, I think uh, the more of that we can do, we're going to have a better society. So tell me about the 67 basketball championship team. It's one of my (laughs) favorite things to talk about. (laughs) Uh, We're still all friends. I think the one thing that they they brought something to Winston-Salem that we've never, never so long time, we have not had since. They were a group of young men who were from all over the United States uh, who were really good basketball players, but they were really good men. And all of that team, now two have died, but all of that team, I was thinking, they didn't drink or smoke. And they all were successful, either teachers or principals or ball players. Every single one. There was not one that fell through the crack. And the reason being, they had big house gains, made sure they were not only athletically inclined but they were good human beings Mm -hmm. you know that they had he's one of the first uh, historically black college coaches that made all of his guys wear a jacket Mm -hmm. uh, like a sports jacket not to say they were the best but they looked nicer yeah he felt when they got off of that rickety bus that he drove they looked they looked like they're gonna win clothes make the man yeah they look a lot better (laughs) But I have been involved with them since 1963. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joel and I both were. And our involvement was mainly making sure they were healthy. Mm -hmm. And thank God there were doctors here way, way back. Mm -hmm. The Bob Cordell days and all those people who checked them Mm -hmm. to make sure they were healthy. Because they were all African Americans and could possibly have something that wasn't checked way back. Because they grew up. Some in the Bronx, some in out in the street, some everywhere. Mm-hmm. They became part of our lives, and to this day, we're like 
a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they come to town, they come by my office, and then they scatter. Yeah, so, that's yeah. great. That's great. It's a good legacy. Yeah. And, and, of course, Big House Gaines has left his, uh, his, his indelible mark yeah, on our community. He was, he was a big, big man. Just some personal questions. Yeah. Uh, favorite Elton John song? Oh, how'd you know about Elton John? I'm it's going on to your see website. Lionel, I'm going to see Lionel Richie <laughs> next week. Uh, my favorite Elton John song is probably, uh, God, I got so many. If you ever came by my house, <laughs> what would you I'm ask either him to playing play? Elton John, Lionel Richie, Chicago. Billy Joel. Uh, Billy Joel. Van Halen. Van Halen. And now Bruno Mars. <laughs> Bruno Mars. Oh, I yeah, love Bruno. Bruno yeah, Mars. He's a great. So good. I had him on all day Sunday while I was cleaning. Um, I don't know. I have. I like all of them. Okay. Favorite Van Halen song? I can't think of the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was I great. Down there, but I love Van Halen. <laughs> I loved him when he came through with all the hair. You know. David Lee Roth. David. Yeah. Diamond I was, David. I was in Canada doing a meeting many years ago and uh this very strange voice behind me said this is when i was skinny and had duct tape on my mouth <laughs> a strange voice behind me said nice pants and i turned around and it was david lee roth uh-huh. and I, I bet had a heart attack I like, <laughs> you know i felt like one of those giddy girls that gets to see yeah. so and so bruno morris that's a famous mm-hmm. uh i just I, there's something about his music that moves me mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very danceable. Yeah, and I, was, I like yeah, him. He's very I like talented. Him. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna wrap this up. I'm gonna. I'd love to have you back. Um, I'll come back anytime. Great, and um, I just want to uh, end with a quote. Claudette Weston is the most giving, kind, and loving person you will ever find. She is well known because of what she brings to the community. She is fresh, lively, hardworking, and always thinking of the welfare of others. And so we need more people like you in our community, and I appreciate your time this morning coming on the podcast. I have one more thing to say. Those of you who have not seen Andy Brewer, he's very attractive. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Good thing we're not on video here. We're just audio. But I appreciate that, and thanks again for coming. Thank you.